0: to go back to our old lives when there's something new and better waiting for us. It's a human tendency that we're gonna tackle as we go through our new series, Red, White, and Deja Vu. Let's hop in now and see what this week's message is. Where did I get a coffin? I told you, I have goth, goth friends, so it was really easy for me. <laughs> All right, if you're a teenage aisle host or Alicia, come up and sit at one of these tables for me. Alicia, you used to be a teenager. Just come up over here, because this is a pit, and uh, you'll die. So don't trip up here. Come up here on the table. Uh, sit at a table. Here's, here's what's happening. We're going we're gonna to continue on this uh, study with Galatians. And Paul is going to fight something very, very dear to his heart today. So here's here's what happens. Peter is part of this council that we were talking about last week. Maybe a seen somewhat like this probably without the creepy tombstone. Truth be told, I was actually going to pop out of that to start the sermon, but I was like, eh, maybe a little too creepy, and so we didn't do that. Uh, but, so... Peter and Paul have this conflict as they're moving forward. And so they have this council in Jerusalem. They talk about circumcision. Does somebody really need to cut a piece of their body to indicate faith in Jesus Christ? They settle that. They're like, no, Paul, you're preaching the same gospel we're preaching. It's just to a different audience. All is good. They leave. They're good. Peter has already talked and led Cornelius and his family Gentiles to the faith. This should be all good and groovy. But then sometime later, after Peter's been in jail, he comes to Antioch. Antioch is a largely uh, Gentile, non-Jewish city. He comes and there's these tables set out, much like these wonderful ladies. Four of them are in, three of them are in my starting point. Isn't that awesome? The you starting point? They're Yankee fans, so not too much applause. And so... Uh, i only kind of kid, and so he comes to a table, and and let's say these, these are my Jewish friends, and and Peter comes to a table, this should already be decided, and Peter is willing to, to participate, and have a meal with them, and interact with them, which is, in that culture, meant the world. You're saying, I am good with what these people are and do, by willing to, by, by my willingness to have a meal with them, and Peter's doing that, everything is good, but then all of a sudden, something changes. There's these Judaizers that come and sit close to them. Judaizers are are, are people from the Jewish faith that have have become Christians. And and so these are the circumcised bunch. And, And Peter's over here eating with the uncircumcised. Everything's good. He's already said, I'm good with this. But then these Judaizers come and sit at the table. And Peter starts to gravitate from one table to the other. He gets to the point where he's, he's eating with his Jewish buddies that believe in Jesus Christ. Turning his back to his new friends. Not willing to associate with the uncircumcised. Why? They're, they're not part of the Jewish ruling party. They're, they're not part of what they would call the Sanhedrin. They have no authority. They, have, they, they can do nothing authoritative to Peter. All they can do is make fun of him, ridicule him. That pressure, that fear of what might they think if I eat at this table causes him to say to heck with my friends over here, I'm here. You guys can go have a seat. Thank you ladies for coming up here and being aisle hosts for us. It's it's so bad. You remember Barnabas, who's a dear friend to Paul? It's so bad that even Barnabas, who didn't start he he would he would be eating at this table too. He didn't have any problems with it. But because he sees Peter over here, guess what? Barnabas, a key leader who helped start the church in Antioch, is now no longer eating with the Gentiles. Now he's over here with his with his Judaize your buddies. He, Peter in his actions are now, is leading others to the same type of hypocrisy. Because hypocrisy is so contagious. And it happens when we cave to fear and to pressure. And we, and we were easy to, like, I'm easy. I, I was reading this passage and I was getting angry. Peter, you're such a jerk. What are you thinking? You're so passionate. You've been through this. Cornelius, Jerusalem, all that it. it should be settled. And here you are. But yet I, I sit at a coffee table every single week. Are there people I'm not, a will, not willing, if they were to jump at my table and start talking to me, are there people that are going to annoy me? Maybe this is, maybe, maybe you're not in school lunch right now, but maybe come September you're going to be at a school lunch. Are you inclined to walk into the cafeteria and because of fear and because of pressure, do it. Even as adults, you go into the break room. There are certain people you're willing to associate with and certain people you're not willing to associate with. But Peter, Peter just recently said, said yes to an all-inclusive gospel message, something that we value here. He was good with this. The gospel is for everybody. We, we don't care what your baggage is coming to the cross. What we love is that you come to the cross. And so Peter has already said, this is a done deal. But then all of a sudden, these tables, this pressure, he caves and says, forget the all inclusive gospel message. These people might make fun of me. And so, my, our big thought for the morning is this hypocrisy undermines the truth of of the gospel. You and I are accustomed. You and I have our own issues with hypocrisy. And when we act away, opposed from truth, we are acting and we are undermining the integrity of the true gospel message. And that is why, that is why Paul has to address this. Because we have a tendency to fall back to old ways. Old ways of thinking when all of a sudden we encounter fear, and pressure. The gospel should protect us from living hypocr- hip- hypocritical, shouldn't it? But at times we give in too often. And so this is how, this is how Paul responds. This is where we'll pick up in, in the book of Galatians. He says this, But when I saw their conduct was not in step with what? The truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas, who was another, another way of saying Peter, Before them all confronted him in public because his sin was in public if you though a jew live like a gentile you're not living according to all the jewish customs anymore and not like a jew how can you force gentiles to live like jews we ourselves are jews by birth and not gentile sinners but yet we know that a person is not what justified by works of the law but how through faith in Jesus Christ so so we also have have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works by by the law but because by works of the law no one no one no one no one will be justified. He is seeing, Peter is acting in such an inconsistent way with truth, that it has to be, it has to be addressed. He's not looking to humiliate Peter, he's not looking to to make him feel belittled, but he knows that if the gospel is so true and so vital, that if it's being publicly undermined, that this better be addressed, and it better be addressed publicly, and it better be addressed quickly, and so not to humiliate, but to defend the gospel message, what we've been talking about. He brings this out. Couldn't stand for it. And so his response is to remind Peter what is justification? Not not necessarily a word, you're not again gonna go to the water cooler tomorrow and say, I, I learned about justification in church yesterday. No one's going to really understand it. But here's here's the basis of justification. In in the Bible, every time it's used, it's it's used by somebody that puts their faith in Jesus Christ and stands before God. Guiltless, imperfect person standing before God Almighty, completely guiltless. Guiltless. It, it's, it's a it's a judicial it, 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 it's a forensic type term where somebody according to the law should be have should have so much guilt, but when a judge finds them justified, the the penalty of the law they they are perfect before the law. If a judge is to consider them justified, justified. Justified. And so you and I, not by cutting a piece of our body or eating the right drink or the wrong drink, not by work, 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 none of us here are justified by doing, doing, doing. We are justified by one reason faith alone in Jesus Christ. Jesus is. Are justification the law? You know what the law proves? The law proves I'm damned. The law can't change my nature. The law only shows me rules, regulations. All of that only shows me I need Jesus. The, in Christ, in Christ's economy, there's not really, really good people near perfection. There's not kind of good. The they do a good occasionally and. <laughs> and then, yeah, they deserve to burn in hell. In God's economy, there's perfect and imperfect. And we all fall on the side of imperfect. We all, by our own means, our own actions, stand unjustified before God. And so, God so loved the world, he sent his one and only Son. And he became our justification. And Paul is, is falling back into this, this lifestyle where he's disassociating with people because of their works, because of their actions. These, these people over here, they're not willing to do Jewish things and cut a piece of their body to be holy before God. I can't have anything to do with that. And so I'm going to sit over here and disassociate. And, and Paul is like, do you understand justification? They don't have to cut their body. What are you going to do about it? Do you really want to disassociate? Is that really the pinnacle of our faith? Peter, come on. We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Rules do not remove sin. Rules reveal sin. And Jesus then becomes our justification. Praise God for that. It should change our perspective. our perceptive, perception. You all know what I'm saying. It should change everything about how we look at life. It should change everything. How we act. Let me let me illustrate it this way. I'll tell you about my about my week. From a from a works standpoint from a legalistic standpoint and then I'll tell you about my week from the exact same the exact same story but I'll, I'll tell you about it from a grace standpoint it, it's it's how we view these two different tables so so from a works standpoint my week last week I came to church just like this I woke up at 4 30 in the stupid morning I had to wake my stupid kids up at 5 a.m they love that and, and then I had to come to church there was like five of us like hustling in and out of the trailers it sucked and then we had we I, they gave but they gave us a banana yay cool banana and then we had church and there were some people here we sang some songs it was good and all and then I had to go home and there were people that came to church for the first time and I had to move get away from my family go to my computer and send them an email and say thanks for coming to church and and that was that was somewhat of a drag to be away from my family and then I had to wake up early the next morning on Monday I had to start preparing for the sermon this week and, and get no sleep and then get ready for a meeting at, at about 10 a.m. where we were talking about this in the coffin, and eh, that's weird, okay, and doing all of that, and then I had meetings, and then, and then on Wednesday, our youth guy was like, I, I need a break from some things, different things going on, and so I'm running starting point this summer with the youth. They're all smelly, and some of them even like the Yankees. It's a drag. My kids are there. They're doing dart guns all night. I'm getting hit with darts. I'm like, I retired from this, but here I am again, and, and then I had to go on Thursday night, Thursday night, I had to bring my kids out of the house, go to Cafe Enigma, I had to buy them all ice cream. That's not free. Then I had to get some goodies, go to the police station and be like, God loves you, so do I. Then, uh, then, then, uh, then I got to like hang out with some other people. And then Friday, some things crept in. I couldn't take a full day off. Saturday, oh, you want to hear about my Saturday? I had to go to the festival. You want to know it wasn't sunshine yesterday? There were two shifts, a morning shift and afternoon shift. You want to know what shift I got? The afternoon shift. You want to know when it rained? My shift. That was fun. And then I woke up today and did it all over again. I had to do all that. It's part of my job. Yes, last week I, I woke up and it was on my heart to start praying for people and start praying for the service and start praying for our people about, man, God, would we be so bold to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ? would, would people take, take my challenge too fast, and to, and to consider, consider how we can love our community well this week, and it was to my joy that people were taking that challenge, and then I woke up the next morning, and I got to wake up, and I got, I got to start chewing on God's Word, and thinking about the sermon this week, and God convicted me, and it was beautiful, and it was needed, and then Wednesday, it was so cool. I, like, I should be an old fuddy-duddy that has to buy cool clothes just to appear cool. I'm not that cool, and, and, and these teenagers wanted to hang out with me, despite smelling a little bit, like they, they wanted to hang out with me and my wife, and it was awesome because you know what we're chewing on the beauty of the gospel with teenagers. It is purely awesome and then and then I got my kids, and yes, I got them some ice cream and whatnot but then but then we went to the police station, and the funniest thing happened that if we weren't serving God would never have happened they, The cops brought us back to their break room, and there was an ak forty seven and one of my kids yelled out pew pew (laughs) and i died i was like oh my goodness my wife and i like about died like we were it was the funniest thing in the world but it happened because we were serving jesus it's a great story to tell i was like oh sermon illustration and then i got to serve people on saturday and tell them our church just loves people it's our joy to be here even in the rain to love and to give out backpacks and sand buckets because we just really love people your perspective if it's, if it's legalistic and works, you have to do, you have to do, you have to do, you have to do, you have to produce, you have to, you have to, because I'll be damned if I stand before God. and He's like, well, you didn't do enough. Versus I get you, I get you, I get you, because God did it all. That changes. That's the response. It doesn't matter who you're eating with or you're not eating with. Make Jesus the focus. And so then the question becomes, how, how do we move forward? Because here's, here's, here's the challenge for us. This, this, this thing with faith, faith isn't like, hey, what I believe, and then we add works to faith. Faith is, is this healthy combination between faith and works. Faith faith just is. Faith is. Faith is. I don't have to go to church. I get to. Why? My faith. I, I don't have to read my Bible. I get to. Why? My faith. Uh, I I I don't have to serve at church. I get to why my faith. I don't have to give of my income to the church. I get to why my faith. I don't have to be awesome at school. I get to be awesome in my grades and my education and the integrity of that. I get to why my faith. I don't have to go to my job and be really, really good at my job. I can half butt it and, and, and still get a paycheck and But I get to be awesome at my job. Why? My faith. My faith is what drives my belief. And my actions flow from that. And so Paul will go on to just tell Peter how to move forward in this as a citizen of God's kingdom. Here's how we move forward with an understanding of justification. Moving forward looks like this. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ... We, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if the Judaizers are right that you have to keep adding to the faith, then everything Jesus said makes Jesus wrong, and Jesus can't be wrong for if for if i rebuild what 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 i tore down i prove myself to be a transgressor for through the law i died to the law so that i might i died to the law so that i might what live to god i have been crucified with christ it is no longer i who live but christ who lives in me and the life i now live in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself For me, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If we accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have found grace. Part of finding grace is dying to the obligation of the law. The, the the law is not my master obligation is no longer my master when jesus christ dies for me he becomes my my master that's what legalism does legalism says do 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 and in so doing you cancel the effect of the cross that's paul's argument what good. What point is the cross if you, if you don't need the cross? If you live like you don't need the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you, then if you don't need that, then why did it all take place? But the logical, what the Judaizers would say is that, that if, if you don't need the law, if you don't need to be good, doesn't that make God an advocate of sin? It's a very reasonable argument. And the holy, pontious religious people, pious religious people, they're going to say, well, Paul, in your version of the gospel, God just really loves sin. To heck with that. You don't understand law and you don't understand gospel if you believe that. God hates sin so much, he sent his one and only son to die for you and I in our place. My sin put Jesus on the cross. I am not justified by my actions. I'm found guilty before God. The law shows me I need Jesus. What James will say, James will say, if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. Back to that, there's, not, there's no middle ground. It's perfection or imperfection. Where do you stand? Are you with me with the imperfection? I think you might be. And so Jesus Christ comes in and says, I will be your perfection. The law is a means of condemning, not freeing. The gospel is a means of freedom. How can slavery and freedom coexist? They can't. And so it's one or the other. So through faith in Jesus Christ, we are alive to God. We don't live like we used to. Not only is by faith we are justified, we then continuing on, living by faith, living out our justified state. I live to God because Christ lives in me. Faith isn't just receiving salvation. Faith is the way in which we move forward. So if we look at verse 19, verse 19 talks about death. Verse 20 talks about life. I'm gonna give you a very churchy phrase, the exchanged life. This is what Paul is talking about in these verses, and it is critical. If you and I are going to move forward in our faith, you and I must understand, it is empirical, you and I understand the exchanged life. Otherwise, you're gonna go through life doing, 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 hoping I'm good enough. That ain't going to work. Even as a Christian, we move forward living by faith. Here's how this exchanged life works. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, Guess who died with him? Me. All of my sin, all of my baggage, died on that cross. Because I needed a Savior. The law showed me, showed Paul, showed you and I, our need for something different. It showed me. When I think of the law, when I think of perfection, you know what I think of? I'm unfit for for perfection. I'm a good for nothing, washed up nobody. And so it points to my need for Jesus Christ. This exchange life is where his death becomes our death. Sin dies at the cross. We die to ourselves. It drives me to the gospel and when I'm driven to the gospel, here's what happens when I find Jesus, a resurrected Savior. I find mercy, undeserved grace, undeserved merited favor from God where I deserve punishment, mercy, but God chooses not to give me punishment but instead chooses to take it out on Jesus. I find grace. I find mercy at the cross. I find life because death didn't keep my Savior in a grave. He rose from the grave. And so what happens in the exchanged life is that his life becomes my life. I don't have to live like I used to. I have a grave of an old life. And I have an empty tomb like Jesus has where my old life was resurrected and became something new and completely different. I no longer live for myself. I live for Jesus. And so I stop trying to please God through the law, which is a pursuit of self-righteousness. I pursue grace by strengthening my relationship with Jesus Christ every single day. It's my joy to live out of that place. And you know what happens when I say Jesus Christ died for me? I put my faith in that. His perfection. The Holy Spirit is God. He is perfect. The Holy Spirit indwells me. Is there any closer of a relationship than somebody indwelling me? And so God then looks at me and says, That's not imperfection if the Holy Spirit's living inside that person. That's perfection. And if I have perfection, if I have God's perfection, guess what? I'm now fit for the kingdom. And so here, here's here's things of maybe the old life. Here's some things that we can do. This ain't actually beer. It's Stewart's rope beer. Don't get all you know tied up and whatnot. You know ethics. Uh, but but maybe part part of our old life is we used to party like a rock star. Now drinking isn't bad. You can have a few beers, but you know the people that take drinking to a place they shouldn't take drinking. One ain't just one. It's like oh, no, it's okay. Drinking is for some of us part of that old life, but for others it's I'm a Christian. I do my church thing on Sunday, but in the afternoon, it's creeping back in in unhealthy ways. Before Jesus, money—it's Monopoly money. <laughs> uh, money, uh, money was a big deal to me. I lived for myself. I used my money for myself, my pleasure, my pleasure, my pleasure. It's all about me, my money, my money. Before, before Jesus. My mouth was cursing. My mouth was, you would talk to me and you would think, I ain't, that ain't no Christian. Or I I would use my mouth. I would come here, I would come here on a Sunday. I would talk to people, praise Jesus, praise Jesus. Get their story. How can I pray for you? But then I'm leaving here and I'm telling everybody how I can pray for that person. (laughs) Before Jesus, I I had a a to-do list. I had a calendar. Some of the, you know, some of us in here live by this book. (laughs) some of us have sticky notes and it 's color coded and it 's pretty before Jesus. where did Jesus fall into here? Was it all about me? Was it all just my family what what controlled my my agenda what what controlled my service it was, was it all was it was it me or was it was it Jesus so some of us before Jesus. Oh, this is a book Decision Points by George Washington. Before before Jesus, Republicans are idiots, Democrats are idiots, and independents just don't know what they believe and and and, and I'm not going to associate with certain people that believe certain political things. I uh, I'm you know I, that's just not me. I'm not going to interact with that or we're just not talk about that. Before Jesus, this needle meant something completely different. And it's killing us. Before Jesus, Sports maybe were everything. Maybe it's with our kids. Maybe, maybe it's with our sports team. Oh, the pastor's a Red Sox fan. He grew up in New Hampshire. He's an idiot. Or maybe it's Stevie. You know how I got this? I went home. My dad's a tennis coach. I steal tennis balls from him every single time I go to New Hampshire because these are $2 a pop. He kind of knows it but turns a blind eye and I just kind of joke. Like, <laughs> it's like a, a cute little thing that we have going on, but I steal tons of these every single time. Th- stealing things from daddies should be part of the old life, and then Jesus comes along and says all of this should be put into the grave. And do we do we do that? Do we say yes to Jesus and throw it in the grave? Do we say yes to Jesus and take our drug use, take our planner, take our beer? Do we? Do we throw it in the grave? Some of this can still be used for God's kingdom, just with a different purpose. Some of us should just say no to it altogether and throw our money. Do we do we throw it in the grave? And do we say, "I just turned to Jesus. I said my old life is death, and I come to this new life." But somehow I keep bringing this stuff to what should be a new table. In that regards, we keep tripping over the grave. We keep we put this we put this on the ground. We go from the old life with its old life stuff, and we keep trying to go to the new life, but we're tripping over the grave. We're tripping over the grave. And when we're tripping over the grave, we are living hypocrisy. We are living out hypocrisy. And this regards this old life. And then we come over here with this new life type stuff. But this ain't the new life type stuff. Jesus is just a nice addition. He's, he's all my old life ways. And it's just, Jesus is just some nice addition. I can come to church on Sunday morning and act like I'm praising God. But if I don't put that old life stuff in the grave and leave it in the grave, this isn't you anymore. You're new in Jesus Christ. God looks at you and sees Jesus. So it's time to leave that baggage in the grave. I'm sorry about throwing. Leave it in the grave. Because when we don't, we trip over it and we live a life of hypocrisy instead of living a life where Jesus doesn't want to just be a nice addition to your old life. He wants to be everything. He wants you to look at those things and say, those things matter no more because Jesus is my God, my Savior, my everything. I'm done with that garbage. It's meant for the grave. It was bringing me to the grave. I'm risen with Christ, not risen with my baggage. And so I leave it in the grave. And so for you and I, we challenge, we, we, we struggle with this every single day. We're not perfect. We haven't reached heaven. We haven't. Well, someday we will. And when we get to heaven, we'll find perfection every day of our lives for the rest of eternity. It's going to be glorious. But until that point, We're struggling. We're in this in-between stage. And so we're all accustomed to hypocrisy. And so my challenge for us this week, and I think about these challenges. I chew on these with other people. And here's my, I mean this challenge wholeheartedly. Journal this week. Pray, God, reveal one area where I am living a hypocrite. where Where I have old life, death type stuff in my life. God, reveal it to me and then kill it. Kill it. Put it in the grave. Now, here's what I have to say because I am on camera here. If, if your old life involves friends, I'm not telling you to kill your friends. <laughs> if your old life involves like you, I'm not saying self-injury. You understand the context of what should be killed. That old way of doing life, that old way of sin, that's what we should be leaving in the grave. But since we're all accustomed to this disease of hypocrisy, what what we saw in Peter, here are three ways in which you and I can fight hypocrisy. First is be accountable to one another. We live in this selfish world where we can think that we can live however we want and everybody should just turn a blind eye and be okay with how I live. That's a selfish way of living. In God's economy, we, we can lovingly confront one another and say, I want you to live to your fullest potential, and your potential is Jesus. How can I help you live to that point? If someone's coming alongside you in love, th- that's part of accountability. In God's economy, we're in this together because this is a rat race. So, so if you want to fight hypocrisy, you we cling to that accountable. We're accountable to one another. They said it. Join a life group. The other is, is remember that we have an impact on other people. Macal said that to me this week. Macal's like, yo, my, my video blew up on social media. I was like, yeah, you're all sorts of social media famous now. And she's like, she got real serious, like, well, what now? I can't screw up because people will be watching. Yeah. Same. Same. You and I are walking billboards for Jesus Christ. Not that we're going to be perfect. We can can pursue grace. We can pursue forgiveness. And we can be an example in that. But we also must remember an unbelieving world will find anything they can to run from Jesus. And I don't want them to run from Jesus because of me. And so as I think about hypocrisy, I have an impact on people. But Cal has an impact on people. You have an impact on people and how you conduct yourselves. Are you dead or are you alive? Are you living in a way that shouts to the world, I love Jesus? Or are you living in a way that represents the grave? And then thirdly, Thirdly is that we need to be committed to truth because hypocrisy undermines the truth of the gospel. The aisle hosts are going to start passing out communion cups now. We, we as Christians, we need to be, if the Holy Spirit is living inside of us, the Holy Spirit is going to guide us towards truth. The Holy Spirit loves truth. We need to be uh, above anybody else. We need to be committed to truth of all people in our private lives and in our, in our public lives. The truth of the gospel better penetrate all of it. And so if if you go through this challenge and you identify an area where you might be living like a hypocrite, here's what you need to do. You need to look back at this and say, how can I, how can somebody else hold me accountable in this area? I'm struggling in this area. I've identified it. I'm praying about it. I need somebody from my life group. I need a friend to help hold me accountable. And then you need to consider, if I screw up in this area, if I give way to this area, if I go back to crazy drug use, if I go back to crazy drinking, if I, if I go back to the one night stands, if I treat sex like the world treats sex, what are they going to think? Uh, what's the impact it's going to have on them? And then think about the lies that Satan might be telling you in that area. And be committed to truth. For me, I told you guys, I went on a, on a prayer retreat, and God just God just smacked me in a good way. <laughs> he was showing me old life type stuff. I've always worked like, like some construction jobs. I'm not that handy. I was just like a construction runt, you know, those people like, do this and you do it and whatnot. I was that guy. I've always been accustomed to working hard, 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 hard. Put hours in. Work hard. Don't slack. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And God showed me on this prayer retreat that I made work an idol. I made effort an idol. I I made it where, where if I got stressed, I would work harder and I would try to control the outcome. I'm trying to control the result. I'm trying to work myself into a place of comfort. And, and while I'm on this prayer retreat, God just like, Jason, where's the rest? Jason, if you're working yourself to a place of comfort, how can I be your comfort? The old life is you control, you manipulate, you get there. The new life is let me be your God, rest in me. And I wasn't doing that. I made work become my idol. And so this week, I am Focus on trying to rest in Jesus Christ and let him control the outcome and trust that outcome. That's my hill to die on this week. And so this week, I, I, I want us to consider this because the gospel is of vital importance and it must not be undermined in our actions. And so we're going to close. This, this is mission critical. We're going to close with communion. You get these really fancy communion cups that you can get on Amazon for 10 bucks. And we want to take a time of reflection, where we come to communion and, and we reflect that, yeah, God does hate sin, but he loves me. And he loves me enough to take care of my issue with sin by sending Jesus. And Jesus died, found himself in a tomb, and the grave couldn't keep down because he's God. Three days later, he rose in victory so that I can live a new, fresh life. And he gave me the gift of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit can't indwell in perfection. The Holy Spirit gets to live in me because there's now perfection in me because of Jesus. And I move forward in this new life. And so when he was about to be betrayed, when he was about to go to his, with his disciples and he's about to go to, to, to be arrested and to the cross, he, he's eating with his disciples around a table associating with some of these ragged-like crazy dudes. And he says, as often as you get together, I want you to break bed. I want you to remember he goes through this whole ordeal. But before we do that, let, let me pray one more time. God, I thank you for today. Lord, I know parts of Jason that need to stay in the grave. Father, there are parts that I know but I bring back. I try to resurrect sin, not a person. Father, help me to understand what should stay in the grave Father, in the areas I don't understand, the, the areas that I'm struggling in, that I, that I need to realize, Father, would you show me those areas so that I can live in accordance with the Gospels, so that I can live as, ones, as one who celebrates life, not death. So Jesus, in this moment of reflection, this moment of considering you, reveal to me and reveal to my people. I love you in your name. Amen. So on that night, he, he took bread. It's in the top flap of your communion cup he took bread and he told his disciples, as often as you get together, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And they took it. Let's eat the bread. Opening that last flap, he, in the same way, took a cup and passed it around and reminded his disciples, they didn't quite get it yet, but my blood will be spilt for you. My blood will offer you mercy, will offer you grace that you can't do on your own. So as often as you re- get together, remember the blood that I am spilling on behalf of you as a payment, as the wrath of God is satisfied through my blood. And they took the cup together. Let's drink. And then Jesus didn't say, well, I'm going to stay dead, so just act, act dead for the rest of your life and people might come to know me. He said, I'm coming back in victory. This is going to be a party. Live as people that have life. Celebrate freedom. Celebrate victory. Don't fall back to that old way of life. So we're going to pray. We're going to consider. And we're going to move forward in grace and forgiveness. And we're going to have some Rita's on our way out. And it's going to be glorious. Let's pray. God, I thank you for my people, Lord. I thank you for these people, Father. I thank you for, for men and women, uh, Father, that come into a place like this and want to reflect and to chew on God's word. Father, show us what we need to leave in the grave. Or Father, show us what can be resurrected for the, from the grave to be used for your glory, your purposes, Father. I love you, Jesus. I thank you for this opportunity. We celebrate you today, Jesus. Oh, praise the name of of Jesus. In your name, amen. Enjoy your readers. Peace. Thank you so much for watching. If this was your first time with us, we hope you enjoyed that message. And if you call Wellspring Church home, different ways to give are listed in the video description below. And please subscribe to our Facebook, Instagram, and this YouTube channel to be kept up in all the newest content from Wellspring Church.